Let's sit. Let's learn. Let's evolve. Let's talk. No more whispering in our minds. Today, we're listening to Let's Talk Black Power, a show about all the ways that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people resist, refuse, transform and reimagine. And in this, the 20th year of Let's Talk, this is your host, Ruby Warden. Yummy yama, you are listening to Let's Talk Black Power. My name's Ruby Wharton. I'm a Gomeroy Kuma Marty Yinna. And in in the studio today, I'm here with the one, the only, the deadliest Kevin Yayi to catch up and recap on the month that has been. How are you, Kevin? Good morning, my sister. I'm well, thank you. Feels good to be in here. I can't believe there's a month gone, Ruby. I know, crazy. You've been on fire. I've been listening in. You've been having all the guns. No, thank you. Thank you. It's amazing that we've had so many deadly people to come on and make the time. And, you know, Blackfellow time is a bit tricky to navigate. And Anna's been doing a great job getting them all lined up for me and I've just been turning up and yeah. the mob have been spinning the yarns. Absolutely. I love the yarn that you had with Uncle Robbie Thorpe a few weeks ago mm. um, and just hearing about what the mob are doing down there in Nam in Camp Sovereignty and keeping the fire burning. Yeah, They're doing amazing things down Honestly. there. Honestly. And then you had the week later, you had, um, I think, Marawa. Yeah. Honestly. I mean, is there anything that woman doesn't know, Ruby? Oh, don't think so. Don't think so. And she <laughs> was definitely holding out on a lot of things. So if Everyone's got to keep up to date with what Youth Verdict is doing and engaging with them. And if you have a similar fight that you might need the support of Youth Verdict, you are more than welcome to reach out with them and work work alongside them and hopefully stop whatever mining initiatives are happening on your countries. Absolutely. And also, you know, for, for any mob who got these fights going on, reach out to us at AAA. You know, we're all about mm. amplifying voices here. I mean, whether it be Ruby's show on Black Power or any of the other shows as well, there's... You know, we've got the um, the beauty of having five different Let's Talk programs every every week. So any mob that's got something going on out there that you want to amplify, that you want other blackfellas to know about, or, or the broader public, just reach out to us. You can find us online or on socials. Mm, that's exactly right. Don't be shame, be game. And, you know, black power is everything. And I think um, the one... One element of black power is that there's so much unknowing, like there's so much of the unknown out there that it's almost like looking into the into the universe, into the into outer space. It's yeah. so much black matter. Yeah. And, you know, black power does matter and we need to know the stories from your lands and your your communities in order to actually fight this colonial agenda that we have in this place. And exactly. And I think, you know, I love what I love what you're doing with the show this year, Ruby, is just looking at all the different ways that blackfellas are resisting, mm-hmm. whether it be through the arts or whether it be through the frontline activism on the marches and the rallies or whether it be through academia or, you know, Marawa fighting, you know, climate mm-hmm. justice with Youth Verdict. It's, um, it's really special um, to hear about how different mob around the country are, are resisting. That's it. That's it. Well, today we're going to be having a massive yarn and um, I guess I kind of want to give a bit of a trigger warning to everyone mm. listening this morning. And um, We're going to be covering <coughs> ish, uh, topics around corrections and policing and um, it's been a really, really full-on week that has been and um, there's been a lot of coronial inquests and I want to take the time now to shout out to um, Justice for Dougie and Kamanjay Walker's case. They both are currently going through coronial inquests. So Justice for Dougie, um, if you didn't listen to Let's Talk Black Knowing with Chelsea and David, you would have 
you would have heard um, Dougie's father speak about the coronial inquest and how we can support and get around them in this time. It was heartbreaking, um, uh, that that conversation that Chelsea and David had with Uncle Hay. Mm. Um, I tuned in. I mean, powerful in, in, in the telling of the story, but as a black fellow to listen in... Mm. Um, Heartbreaking to see just exactly what happened. That's it. Or, or didn't happen in, in his his son's That's case. That's exactly right. And although um, Dougie didn't necessarily die within within the policing side of things, it um, the systemic options that our people have to go through are absolutely horrific and horrendous. Going through coronial inquests, and this perfectly ties into the um, what we're going to be talking about today and our guest speaker today. Um, so we're going to be talking a lot about um, what happened in February this year, in particularly in New South Wales Parliament. They voted unanimously to pass the Detention Legislation Amendment pro- um, Prohibition on Spit Hoods, and, um, which legislates a ban on spit hoods being used in prisons and watch houses in New South Wales. This recent amendment makes New South Wales the second state after South Australia to legislate a blanket ban on the use of these devices. While spit hoods have not been routinely used in New South Wales, this ban aims to make it more difficult to introduce them in future. So through the work of the Ban Spit Hoods Coalition, it is now widely understood that spit hoods are extremely dangerous devices that pose a grave threat to the well-being and dignity of the person being restrained. So across the continent, spit hoods have been implemented in numerous deaths in custody. Um, just up here now in Queensland, we have um, Celeste's inquests that are going through up in Townsville um, and Big Mama. So big shout out to her and her family. Um, these are things that are still used. I guess everybody kind of stopped conversing around spit hoods after the Don Dale and um, the, the Royal Commission there. Yeah. It kind of got swept under the rug and people are just forgetting about it or just it, because it's not in your face, I guess. Like you yeah. wouldn't know that these are being used if you're not in those prisons and those watch houses and those places being treated like like you're nothing. I think it's a really good point, Ruby, because I think there was a few, it was a few years ago when the Dondale stuff really come to the surface and it really had the, the country's eyes on, on what mm. was happening in that space. And it takes me back to that image I remember of that young, that young man. Dylan um, Voller, yeah. Yeah, you know, who um, I think a lot of us remember that image of him being in that chair, having that spit hit spit hood over his head um and that really was for the a lot of people the first time actually going Mm. oh wait we do that here in australia Mm. oh we do that kind of stuff Mm. um but you're right i think in the years since it hasn't maintained that kind of level of scrutiny and 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 attention in the way that um i know that places like you know the spit hoods coalition and others Mm. um are drawing attention to it which needs to happen right that's it and dylan voller was a 12 year old boy at that time and that wasn't the first time that he had had that spit hood used on him as a 12 year old boy that was that's just horrific um dylan and i are the same age so it's quite like while i was living my life he was out in a prison being treated like a bloody nothing like it's just really really quite 
harrowing to understand that these are things that are still happening in our communities and we're not being vocal enough to stop these things. Yeah. And this is a perfect yarn today to actually get around the National Spit Hood Coalition and actually start engaging with abolitionist discourse and understanding that this isn't just about First Nations people or people of colour being profiled and treated negatively. We are actually having violence that is of the of the nature that you see in prisoner of war camps we are being tortured our peoples are being tortured um islander peoples in this place are being tortured children are being tortured with these things and our governments in these various jurisdictions are defending their rights to use these things I mean, Ruby, we know that, you know, these spit hoods are recognised internationally as devices of torture that contravene the the Convention (laughs) or the Rights of the Child, the Convention Against Torture, the UN Standard Minimum Mm. Rules for the Treatment of Prisoners and the UN Rights for the Protection of Juveniles Deprived of Their Liberty. There's so many international... Um, instruments in which these spit hoods mm. contravene mm. Um, and we here in so-called Australia are, are, con- are still using them to this day. That's it. It's a dying shame. This is our legacy. This is our legacy and we are not nearly doing enough to defend our people's lives just to think that had we had we known that this was the level of campaigning and capacity that we needed to have, Wayne Feller Morrison could still be here today. Celessa, Big Mama could still be here today. Dylan Voller maybe would live his life without so much trauma imposed on him in his day-to-day life. This is just like, it's, it's really quite overwhelming how, how much of, of its tentacles are so embedded. And when we hear things like coronial inquest outcomes and interviews like how we how Kamanjay Walker's family have had to listen to the words of Zachary Rolfe over the last couple of days it's it puts everything into context for you it really does I mean I've been following as as many black followers across the country you know the uh Kamanjay Walker the uh the inquest and the investigation even years ago when it first happened and um just to see Rolfe Mm. So brazen in his commentary about the systemic racism that exists within the Northern Territory Police mm. Force, um, it is quite jarring. I mean, even as a black fellow who's... I'm not new to this work, mm. I'm not new to this space, um, but even um, even reading last night some of his commentary around just exactly what um, how normalised um, racial slurs and violence is, um, you know, that happens within, you know, mm. the NT... Yeah, I'm just reading now from the Justice for Walker um, Instagram page. They've quote, I'll quote them now. Um, the council assisting put assisting Zachary Rolfe put parts of a psychological report prepared during the NT police recruitment process to Rolfe, which identified after making a mistake, he is less likely than many others to accept responsibility. Now there are many other things that he said, but I think that cu- kind of covers the gist of. Not only what does he think of a coronial process, how smug he is that he knows that he can't be drawn back into a criminal criminal system because of his words or his actions, and he, it is just insulting. Big love to the Kamanjay Walker's family and, and all of their advocates that are 
representing them and walking alongside them during this process. It's been a couple of years of just colonial and, colonial behaviour. And this is why it's important to look at, you know, policing in its entirety, mm. um, whether it be the spit hoods, which we'll talk to with Maggie about today, but also the entire process in terms of coronal inquest, the role they play, mm. what they can do and what they can't do. And, and I love what... Um, some of these, um, particularly the social media pages, who are really coming out and really explaining it in, in layman's terms for mm. black followers. Well, what is a coronal inquest? Mm. What can happen through this process, and what can't happen through through through, through this process? And I, what I um, what I think is really important that we do, particularly in black media, is is to look at this in its entirety and to see how all the different parts. Um, work together mm. you know and you know looking at the inquest that's happening down um you know justice for dougie and you know even casting our eyes to well what roles do medical practitioners play in yeah. in this as well yeah i mean last year i worked at the australian health practitioner regulation agency apra um apra we know has a role to play mm. in um our, uh, the deaths of black fellas within custody uh, within custodies because what role are health practitioners also mm. um, playing in that role as well? Um, and it's just all the different ways in which all this all works together, I think, is really um, important for, for us to have that conversation. Yeah, you kind of turn into that meme with the woman with all the... Honestly, all the though, Ruby, arrows, seriously, hey? yeah. Like, and they wonder why we're so wild all the time or, like, hypothetically wild. Yeah. And, and it's because, like, we we have the campaigns currently happening too in the events where we can actually structurally maybe prevent all of these things manifesting into something worse in, in, in the terms of violence in custodies and deaths in custodies. Um, especially, I, I don't know if you mob have all watched the project last week where they were talking about um, smaller youth prisons and how important it is for us to be targeting youth crime and addressing all these things. And, um, as a person who is involved in the Entoxic Prisons campaign, which is a campaign here in Queensland's jurisdiction to stop the two prisons being built here in Woodford on Jinnabar Country and in Edmonton up in Cairns in Gimoy, um, it's just overwhelming to, to actually, if we don't ch- acknowledge the importance of these campaigns, like the Nationals, um, National Coalition of Banning Spithoods, we we will lose out and we will see we will be in more coronial courtrooms we'll we'll be seeing more officers being slapped on the wrist or not even that just walk walked away with money in their pocket and it's just it's really quite important and i really want to get that across the line today that if we don't engage in these campaigns we will see more of our people dying honest absolutely and we can't when we talk about youth prisons as well it's it's so important yes kids need to be on country however i can't take your kid who doesn't come from my country out to my country that is equally as more of a prison as anything and that we need to remember that there these are methods that have been tried and proven to be very very dangerous i i can recall petford which was a youth prison camp up in central queensland where children were were running away and stealing vehicles of stuff because of the violence that they were enduring there whether it be of a sexual nature or or whatever these things have been occurring we need to be 
taking on the courage to actually imagine a better future and to take away from these things that have failed and to never do them again. And we, Ruby, you know, you started that yarn with, you know, did you see what happened on the project last week? Yeah. And we, you know, I agree, we need to do all those things and we need to challenge the narratives within mainstream media mm. because they keep coming up with these lies and these myths around um, exactly what's happening on the front line, mm. you know, and what's happening in society. And, um, We've, we've got to be so careful. I mean, you see it play out here in, in so-called Queensland, whereby it's often the loudest voices that are listened to, and by loudest, mm. I mean the widest. Mm. Um, and then government's policies have these knee-jerk reactions whereby they have to be responsive to the loudest voices. Mm. Um, and, you know, you only have to look on some of our Facebook community pages to see the commentary and the narrative that yeah. come through that comment section. It's always, well, where are their parents? Well, the parents are not in the picture because the parents is the state That's of these right. children. These children are wards of the state. They, their parents is the Queensland government. Their parents is the New South Wales government. Their parents is the Queensland child protection system or family policing system. That is where we're at. So we, if we want to talk about all these kinds of things, let's talk about it. And we let's need to talk, talk about, about it. You know, like those, so, you know, the, the contributing, what are bringing p- people, not just young people, but what are bringing people into these circumstances? You know, when we talk mm. about a national crisis on housing, mm. when we talk about the increased living uh, pr- cost of living, yep. people are doing it tough. If we're not careful, we start blaming ourselves and not looking at the government that, yep. start, that are creating these societies in which we are told we've got to live in. That's exactly right. Yeah, we'll do all of that. Um, and, you know, I know, I know when Maggie joins us shortly, um, they will have some really good insight into the, the mechanics mm. behind these campaigns and the way in which they work in amplifying the voices that need to be heard. Because, mm. honestly, like, if, we, if we're not... It's always the loudest, widest voices that are heard. Mm. It's the narratives that are created on shows like The Project. And I know they're not as bad as others, but good ways... That they, they, they push certain narratives, and this mm. is why our what we do and what you do, Ruby, week in, week out here in black media is um, so important. Mm. We have to change the narrative. That's it. Well, we just have to, we owe it to these children and to our, our peoples that are relinquishing in these prisons and watch houses to speak on the things that need to be spoken on. They don't need to the us to pull out the violins and talk about racial profiling. They don't need that. We need to actually go deeper than that. And um, there was a really great story covered by the ABC as well in relation to all this youth crime stuff. Um, and Sisters Inside CEO Debbie Kilroy made a point of saying that in her 50 years of living, or oh, 60 odd years of living, she has not seen change. She was that 13-year-old girl in a, in a prison for children and turned into an adult in a prison system. And this is, you know, Deb's not the only person. This is a shared experience across many, many peoples in our communities. And it's really, it's a really great yarn and I encourage everybody to go and listen in on that because... Targeting youth crime means that we have to support these children. That is what it is ultimately about. There are over three, there are around about 300 children that the state keeps communicating, talk, talking about as being the most violent reoffenders in our jurisdiction. And there's thousands of adults. There's thousands of us. We owe it to these 300 children to be adults. 
that part. To actually be adults and talk about the things I need to be spoken about. So today we are joined by a really amazing guest, the one, the only, Gungari person, Maggie Munns. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to be here with you guys. So for those of you who don't, well, for those of the listeners that may not know about you or the work that you do and the where you are working, mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about that. I will. Um, so, yeah, Maggie Munn, I'm a Goongaree person from southwest Queensland and I'm the National Director at Change the Record, which is an Aboriginal-led coalition um, and it's made up of health, legal, human rights, experts and black followers who are working to eliminate mass incarceration of our people and family and domestic violence against um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women and children. Amazing. So what are some of the campaigns that you've been working on with Change the Record? Yeah, so I've been in the position for just over a year now um, and we've been doing a lot of work around um, youth justice specifically. So we do um, quite a bit of work around Raise the Age, but we also do a lot of work around prison conditions. Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily to improve them as the end result, but to make things a little bit less drastic until we can get over the line with with our abolitionist dreams. Um, So one of the things that we've sort of looked at um, recently has been the impact of climate change, for example, on um, prisons, um, particularly those in, you know, up north and in Western Australia that um, don't have air conditioning and are overcrowded um, and the impact, I guess, of of those massive heat waves Mm. on on people who are suffering um, and what that looks like, I guess, under some of the international laws that prevent that sort of treatment or are purported to prevent that sort of treatment, as well as um, some of the domestic laws that we have here. So we're doing a, um, a bit of research into that at the moment to mm. see, I guess, what's possible and what is, um, you know, the state's responsibility to, to sort of fix. Um, some of the other things that we've been involved in, um, which I think you, you mentioned earlier on, um, was we're a part of the Spithoods, Ben Spithoods Coalition, mm. which is really... Um, really great thing to be involved because it's led by families and people who have um, been impacted um, whether it's their their loved ones or or people in their communities who have been impacted by the use of spit hoods so um, we've been a part of that for a little while now as well Um, and that's really deadly to be a part of um, I guess a coalition that is is looking at specific instruments of violence. Um, mm. Amnesty International calls them tools of torture, mm. um, which is exactly what they are. Um, and there are so many international laws that kind of prevent the you know the manufacturing and the mm. exporting of these sorts of things. But there's been a lot less kind of movements up until recently around. Um, specific jurisdictional bans um, mm. on on spit hoods. And on that, Maggie, I wanted mm. to just jump in a little bit. Um, good to see you again, by the way. I know you're no stranger to the front line. You're no stranger to AAA. Last year, we had you on Let's Talk, um, talking about you know the Queensland government suspending the mm. Human Rights Act not once but twice. Mm. Before we get into this yarn about spit hoods, um, for mob that don't know what spit hoods are. Mm. What are they? We, we hear about them in the media, we hear about them sometimes online, but what actually are they? What do they do? 
Yeah, so they are, um, I, I guess the closest thing I could describe them as would be mesh, um, okay. sort of like a mesh material uh, that's placed over someone's head. And the justification from institutions that use them is to prevent um, spitting from the person who's wearing it and thereby reducing, I guess, the risk of contamination or infection from any kind of, you know, saliva-transmitted sickness. Sure. Um, and they've been used for a long, long time, um, and and we see them used um, most commonly in detention, um, so whether that's in, in watch houses, um, in prisons, and in mental health care facilities as well. Um, the idea is behind them, or the justification that's given by institutions, is as a, a form of protection for workers interacting with with people who um, who are spitting or who um, you know maybe are biting yeah. um, in their interactions. But what we've seen and what so much of the evidence is is that actually they don't make a great deal of difference in mm. terms of protecting people from sort of those transmissions of, of, of sickness or infection or anything like that. I've been looking online. You're, you're absolutely right. There's, there's, there's research that's come out mm. to say that they're actually not that effective. Mm. What they instead do is increase the trauma <coughs> and the anxiety and the fear of the person wearing them. Um, and in the UK, actually, Spithood's... Um, Come with a warning on the on the package that say improper use may cause death. Oh my goodness! And we've we've seen you know people in in this country and internationally as well lose their lives from spit hoods. Um, and and to even put a warning on this and then still deploy them and be surprised when someone's life is lost mm. as a result is really quite a jarring mm. thing to contend with. Yeah. Um, you, you, Maggie, you spoke about, we, we know that spit hoods have been implicated in a number of deaths in custody, including um, here in so-called Queensland in 2001. We've spoken about they're meant to be effective, um, and we know that you know the research suggests that they, are, they aren't. Why do you think they are still being used? Oh, I guess there's a number of reasons. I think, you know, the, the underpinning part of it all is this need to protect police and mm. you know institution workers um you know whether that's corrections or um psychiatric facility workers there's this need to protect them um by a lot of state institutions and government institutions but there's also a real reluctance for these institutions to explore alternatives to the use of spit hoods so mm. to shift the responsibility then to them to investigate where, you know, PPE, masks, face shields, all of those sort of things that were normalised during the COVID. <laughs> Literally, period. that part, Maggie. Why, why aren't we rolling those out? Exactly. Why aren't we giving that responsibility to the institutions to protect their workers yeah. just as well? Um, you know, let's shift away from causing further harm and damage to people in an already tense and traumatic and heightened situation. That part, because can we just talk about the experiences of folks getting locked up yeah. and being put into the back of these cages and being transported to these watch houses, the experience of the processing mm -hmm. going through that, um, 
that's a lot in of itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what what happens sometimes is that these spit hoods are then deployed as a mm-hmm. way of protecting the the uh, the guards. Mm. Mm. Exactly, and uh, having had you know depressive episodes myself or, or manic episodes myself, the heightened emotion that you have in those moments mm. is so severe and so detached from reality that if you were to put somebody in a spit hood, I, I cannot imagine the anxiety and the sort of tripling or quadrupling of those, mm. that, that manic feeling or that, that fear, um, especially knowing what we know, that people have lost their lives from these things. And so considering that they're used in psychiatric facilities and mental <laughs> health settings as well, that is so terrifying that you've got people who are already in a heightened state of emotion and then you're just adding to that. Yeah. You know, it's just compounding everything that they're going through and wondering then why we mm. are all outraged on the outside. That's know, it. And, yeah. and wondering why people are losing their lives. That's exactly right. And I think, like, just listening to you talk now, I think about all of the the testimonies that I've heard from young people that have been thrown into a watch house and put in obs, like these are like 14-year-old kids that are being stripped naked and put into a padded room. Then they eventually get put taken, they spend 14 days in that watch house in that state. Then they get taken, hopefully, after those 14 days because, as we all know in this jurisdiction now, children don't have human rights. They have... we. The state has suspended the human rights bill that we have here to allow um, commissions of adult prison units and watch houses to be um, allowed for children to be detained indefinitely in there or remanded in custody until their bail is given or (laughs) revoked, as we've just seen over the last two weeks after um, that incident out in Ipswich with that young young boy. Um, There's been a lot of really dangerous efforts taken and targeted against our most vulnerable peoples and the process of incarceration here is is tumultuous it's it takes you on that high and that low they say that the watch house is the worst part of the incarceration process because it's just a whole unknown unknowing and there's a lot of violence within those watch houses screws in those watch houses are not very nice people i recall my own um my own stories and involvements in there where I've, I've had massive head injuries and not been allowed to have medical and I've um, had <laughs> massive memory block. I had like the tooth punched out of my head and everything and just to see and hear the, the kind of the pain that you go through, through the whole process and then just to imagine that some people have had their lives ended like this, like um, up in Townsville Women's Prison, they're subjected to a, a spit hood inquest at the moment or investigation I should say and just where do we go Maggie like where do we go and what can we do in this moment to actually ensure that our efforts are going to be structurally woven Mm. into these campaigns where we can absolutely stand on the shoulders of or have our children or future advocates stand on the shoulders of us Mm. so that they don't have to do the same organising and campaigning that you guys that changed the record and Ban Spit Hoods Coalition have had to do. Mm. I think that's the you know that's the the million dollar question and it's one I think that we've all 
asked ourselves at various points of, of the fight and the struggle. And I think, mm. you know, the the powerful thing that we've seen come out of the Spithoods Coalition, which is led by, <coughs> excuse me, Latoya Rule, mm. um, whose sibling, um, Wayne Fellow Morrison, lost his life due to, due to Spithoods down in South Australia. Mm. And their advocacy and just relentless pursuit of an outcome South Australia was the first jurisdiction to ban spithoods. Um, we've seen New South Wales um, just recently implement their legislative ban on spithoods in prisons, um, both youth and, and adults, um, and mental health care facilities uh, as well. Um, you know, that, that advocacy and that fight comes from people who have been affected, right? It's, yeah. it's always people who have the experience, who have been through this sort of stuff. They've lost family, they've lost loved ones, they've lost people in their communities. They're always at the front lines. And uh, it's really quite a privilege to stand with them and alongside them as they move through this fight. And I think what we've seen come from the advocacy of coalitions like this that emerge from a need to tackle injustice, right? Mm. They emerge because we've seen what happens when we 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 don't act. Um, you know, the it's it's sort of a an interesting approach, I guess. They've done the the public campaigning. Um, you know, they they have had the the presence outside of coroners' courts. They've you know done the 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 speeches. The coalition has done the speeches. Latoya's done the speeches and implored people to take action. And all of the sort of um, typical campaigning tactics we've seen happen and then at the same time they've done the inside track the the government lobbying and the mm. and the strategic relations i guess with with ministers and advocates within government institutions there's layers to this isn't there, there? Is. there's there the outward is. facing campaigning to to rally the broader yeah. public but also then what's happening internally where these policies and legislation are created and developed right exactly exactly and that's what i love about you know and shout out to latoya and, and everyone behind this campaign is that um, is getting cleverer around the strategy and um, thinking outside the box and thinking, well, what are the different angles that we can hit this with? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's, you know, in, in all my years as a campaigner, that's where you've seen the most successful campaigns is when you balance that, that public-facing stuff with the inside track, the really strategic sort of relationships with ministers who can bring Ooh. your bill forward, who Ooh. can ask questions you, on the Senate ask, floor. Yeah, who can ask questions in Senate estimates, all of that sort of stuff. And and when those sort of two tactics I guess merge or those two pathways merge, it does bring about outcomes like this. It does bring about prohibition on, on spithoods in New South Wales. You yeah. Know? And that's so impressive that at every single level you can fight a campaign the Spithoods campaign has been fought um, mm. and will continue to be fought until it's banned everywhere. And I think, you know, listening in in those meetings and, like, I'm still young too, right? Like, I'm, I'm not even 30 yet. Oh. And You're it's quick to of... say that. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, just had to be black and make a little comment there. <laughs> I've got to remind myself. Um, someone said I looked 45 the other day. Oh, no, no, no. But, you know, like listening into these people who have been fought, fighting this, oh. this fight for a really long time and who have been doing this sort of work for a really long time, it's such a such an honour to listen to how they craft their strategy to be able to get the outcome that 
not only give some sort of, I guess, justice to what they've been through and, and who they've lost, but also to make sure that no other life is lost from these things that took their family mm. members. Yep. And I think that that's, you know, that's the strength of campaigning in ways that we do as, as black followers, as Indigenous people from, you know, elsewhere. We see so much across every little facet and can tackle it on every on every mm. front and I think that's really really incredible. No, that's amazing. It's amazing. I have nothing. I have nothing left to ask. <laughs> no no you've, 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 <laughs> Marty Styles, Marty Styles, Southwest Queensland style. Honestly. Just nail it on the head. I do love um the importance. I think, you know, you touched on this really well and um the, we talk about the different layer, layers to this in terms of campaigning and really amplifying voices and pushing an agenda. Um and it really speaks to the importance of collaboration. Mm. And and I think as black fellas and, and as first peoples here, uh, um, you know, relationality is something that drives a lot of us and, and have these relationships with different black fellows in different lanes and different places, you know, whether it be the arts and craft, you know, arts and craft, shut up. Whether, <laughs> okay, what's that play school? Hey, hey, whether it be the, the arts or, you know, whether it be in academia, whether it be on the front lines and, you know, um, the, I love how, how we're getting more, how, you know, and we honestly, we've been forced to get more clever in terms of how we fight all this. Exactly. Mm. And I mean, you know, I maintain that blackfellas are the cleverest people in the world um, because we've had to fight on every different front for the mm. longest time, you know, and you, and you do see it. The The resistance occurs in our art, in our storytelling, yeah. in our songs, in our, you know, ways that we show up in our professional lives, on the football field, um, you know, in every different lane that we occupy as blackfellas the fight is with us and I think that that's so powerful and that's why we're seeing these campaigns take different root and different shape the, the I guess the longer we fight them and the more that we do mm. for listeners um, before we let you go Maggie for, for listeners who want to know more about these these campaigns and to get involved with the work and um, the coalition does but also the work that you're doing as well what, what can they do I'd say the safest bet every time is to Google. Um, we Change the Record has a website, changetherecord.org.au, and Ben Spithood's um, coalition as well has a website too. And on each of those websites, it outlines the different ways that you can get involved um, in different um, in different ways. So whether you're someone who likes to write a letter or sign a petition or have meetings with MPs or host events, there are all sorts of options for you to get involved with this, um, with this campaign to, to ban spithoods, uh, as well as the, the campaigns that Change the Record does. Um, so, yeah, keep an eye out on, on the website um, because there's always, always different ways that you can get involved. Mm, and... I've just been on my email. Yeah, we'll to everything, Maggie. Thank you for coming on. I've we just love been... multitasking. <laughs> yeah, we do. Well, this one's a bit juicy and very, very relevant. Um, it's a media release from the Honourable Stephen Miles, the Minister for Education, Minister for Youth Justice and the Deputy Minister for so-called Queensland and the Honourable Di Farmer. And they've officially announced that construction starts on youth detention facility at Woodford. And in this media release statement, they say some interesting things. Um, so lead contractor, B6 Wattpack, 
PTY LTD has been appointed for stage one of the design and construction with the sod turned into the kick of the enabling works. Um, this is, it's really interesting. They go on to say um, hundreds of new jobs will be supported during the construction and once open, it will support long-term employment opportunities in the Woodford community. This is the level of community safety that this jurisdiction and this government cares. This is the amount. This is, you know, it's just really, it's, it's just the biggest go get rid of yourself type of energy. Mm. It's so dismissive. It is so not, it is so immature. It's such an immature response. Mm. Yeah. This is a massive pandemic pandemic there is massive moral i'm using bunny rabbit ears for everyone i forget that i'm on the radio not tv not my instagram stories um but this is the level of care that this government has for us and our peoples and this goes to show the importance of the fights that ben split spit hoods coalition change the record sisters inside and the institute of collaborative collaborative race research have been doing over the last courses of they their existence mm-hmm. It is so important for everyone listening to be involved in these campaigns, especially the End Toxic Prisons campaign. Don't raise the age, abolish the cage. Um, I, we really have to start having a better legacy for our children. And if this is the response from Queensland Government, then the adults, when we go into our elections in the next mm-hmm. couple of weeks, mm-hmm. we have to be mindful of this. And I want to... Um, Take the time now. This isn't a political plug or anything, but I want to take the time now for my, to thank Michael Berkman mm. and Greens member Amy McMahon for put. They were the only two ministers yeah. who put their yeah. put their names on that floor when they wanted to, um, when they wanted to put those amendments to the Human Rights Bill in place. It was just those two. This, but the lib. Libs and Labor are the birds of the same, are two wings of the same bird. Unfortunately, these are the things that our children are being martyred right now for the sake of an election, mm-hmm. for a sake of jobs. We must do better. Mm-hmm. We must do better. We must promise ourselves to do better, especially coming into this election. We can do better and we can build safer communities. And we can prove to Stephen Miles and Di Farmer and any other person that sides with them just how effective campaigning and community imagining can be. And this is not going to be lost on us. I think we can all, all of us in this room can make that promise that our children's lives cannot be lost on us. And we must all be conscious of that when we go into the next couple of weeks because it might seem like they're very disconnected issues, but this government's using our children as as electoral campaigns. Mm -hmm. That is not what our children are. Our children are our future, and our future is a black future, and our future is thriving. Mm -hmm. And if... Yeah, yeah, well... (laughs) Sorry, that's everything. But any any last thoughts? No, it's been a pleasure listening to you both as always, Ruby and Maggie. Um, Ruby, I can't wait to join you next month in the studio. See what mm. you get up to in the month of March. Yes, yes. I imagine there's going to be a lot of continuance from these conversations, and I also want to take. I I realise that I didn't take the time now um, to acknowledge Jai Wrights family down in Sydney. They're going through their own inquest at the moment. Um, 
Jai was a 16-year-old boy who was run down in inner western Sydney by a detective and there's been absolutely no justice and they've been in this fight for roughly two years now. So everyone, if you can go and support the Band Spit Hoods Coalition, change the record, Sisters Inside, ICRR, and all of the families of Justice for Dougie, Kamanjai Walker and Jai Wright mm-hmm. and this time and really get around our peoples and the campaigns like um, Raise the Age, like um, and Toxic Prisons, like Shut Dondale. Um, I, we didn't touch on Dondale a bit there, but um, one thing that's currently happening out there is that they've they've acquired the old prison old men's prison unit to um, detain children out in out in the territory and that's quite how you going we all need to stop living in silos and if we're going to live in an echo chamber let's be really really loud about it and let's plug that speaker in like we're cleaning on a sunday morning at men's house type of vibes like we need to stop living in silos and amplify our chambers we black voices can be really powerful when we're when we're talking together. Mm. But yeah, thank you for listening to Let's Talk Black Power. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs> no, no more whispering in our mind. Let's talk Monday to Friday at no nine AM on AAA Murray Country, the National Indigenous Radio Service and iHeartRadio. You can catch up on AAA.org.au, proudly supported by the Community Broadcast Foundation.